Hello, this is Dr. Singleton, your professor for course A101-B114, Introduction to Hermeneutics. This is part two of a four-part series for the course. I finished up part one talking about the fact that when we want to do a study in the Bible, we should first read the Bible. It is suggested that we read and reread it a number of times when we plan to study a day or more before we begin our study. This is because it will help you get the big picture which will aid you in not missing obvious points as you continue in the study. During this part, I will reference a number of passages and I implore you to look them up to gain additional insight into the point that I am making. Both the Old and New Testament is part of one Bible. The whole Bible is one truth. Therefore, any idea or word that we find in the Bible, we must take into account an inductive Bible study. In an inductive Bible study, it must begin with all the data. You might want to remember that. This is a very important step. Absence of including all data in your analysis could cause one to make a incorrect conclusion. It is critically important that all the available data you include in your analysis is from the Bible because the Bible can be trusted as reliable facts. Whenever we have data from other sources, they are exactly that from other sources and not from God. It matters not how much one tries to assure you that it is God. It is still from an unknown authority. Extra sources are extra. They are not the inspired word of God. So, no matter how extensive, skillful, and careful we have been, still our analysis cannot be trusted unless it's founded in the word. The skill of observation is sometimes something, well, actually, it is commonly that that you will need to develop or refine going forward. It is more than seeing something. It is also realizing what you see in relationship to other things. Chances are you've had the experience of rifling through a drawer looking for something that you knew was there and you did not see it. And sometime later, you would go back to that drawer, no one having been there since you last looked. And lo and behold, what you were looking for was right there. What happened? Well, you seen it, but you did not observe it or you did not recognize it. Uh, another parallel that we might consider here is a person who is colorblind. Now, they can see an object and never realize the differences 
in the colors of the object they're looking at. Therefore, they are hindered in their ability to fully distinguish the difference, though they may be many or few. And so for you as a serious Bible student, you want to know how do I distinguish and be clear on some of the various parts of the word. So as you develop in this area, you will notice things you've seen and didn't notice in your recent past. In fact, I'll name some of those things you'd want to observe and sharpen your observational skills concerning. This sharpening is accomplished through doing and becoming more familiar with the way the Bible is written. Most often, it is easier to find something when we are looking for it and when we know what we're looking for, rather than not knowing what we're looking for and yet we're looking. The Bible has a beautiful and delightful foundation with varying compilations of multifaceted expressions. With all the literary forms in the Bible, we compare a verse in one part to details of another part. This process is the basis of analytical, introductive study of God's word. For example, in John 1.29, the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In this passage, we see a figure of speech, Lamb of God. We know Jesus Christ is not an animal. Even so, singularly, through careful biblical analysis, we can see how we are to understand the word lamb. In our personal study, there are so many things to find that time would not permit us to consider all of them in these few lectures. Through your own study, you will come to recognize things that reoccur. The following are some things that we must learn to recognize. Number one, we must learn to recognize comparisons. Some common associations for indicating comparisons are even so, the word so, the word as, likewise, neither, and nor such as in 2 Samuel 18.32 or in Matthew 5.48. Or two negatives may make a comparison as in Isaiah 59.6. So we want to notice comparisons. And then contrast. By noticing how different one thing is from another, we can greatly enhance our learning. From time to time, these words are associated with contrast. The word but, however, and rather. These are a few examples uh, and found in Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 68, which is distinguished 
from the 14 preceding verses by the word, but in verse 15, or we can look in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Other expressions emphasize purpose. Often, but not always, these words are used. Words like that, in order that, and because are associated with purpose. An example is found in Ephesians 5:25, followed by verse 26. And we want to notice uh, anytime there are these expressions that emphasize purpose. Number three, we want to recognize motivation. Motivation, an example can be seen of that in Ephesians 1, 4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Notice the motivations is that we would be before him in love. Also, in Ephesians 1, 12, we see motivation of why his plan of salvation should be carried out. That we should be to the praise of his glory. That's why he's done what he's done. Number four, we want to look at conclusions. Conclusions are frequently indicated by words such as therefore, wherefore, thus, and so. These are clues pointing to conclusions. If you notice, in Isaiah 59:16, it shows that God had to redeem man from sin since there was not a man that could do it. Or we see another conclusion in Romans 3:20 is the conclusion which is based on all that has come before it. Further, we want to look at repetitions and restatements. In Psalms 85 verses 1 through 4, we see restatements of blessings, namely salvation from sin. So we see these phrases, thou has been favorable unto the land, or brought back the captivity of Jacob. Forgiven the iniquities of thy people and covered all their sin. All these statements are the same thought. To support this, the psalmist in verse 3 rejoices that he does not have to face the wrath of God. The real issue of Psalms 85 deals with the spiritual matter concerning salvation from sin and the judgment from God that follows. Romans 4.25 is another instant where we see restatement. It is not that Jesus was delivered or crucified to take care of the offenses we committed, then raised from the dead to justify us, no, no, no. <coughs> 
removal of our offenses and our justification are all one. They are both contingent on the completed work of salvation inclusive of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.9 presents justification as a result of Christ's shed blood. We were delivered. Serious trouble can be gotten into when we try to separate things that are really different views of one idea. Progression in logic, number six. We must be careful not to take the divisions of the New Testament too seriously. The chapters break are not inspired and sometimes hinder our understanding of the thought that flow from one chapter to another. An example is the discussion between Jesus and his disciples in John 13, 31 flows into chapter 14 without a break in logical continuity. First, Peter asked, where are you going and why can't I go with you now? The first answer is found in the next chapter, chapter 14, verse 2. The second answer is found in chapter 14, verses 3 through 6. The disciples could not follow Jesus now because he had not gone to the cross and he had not died. Once he had died and resurrected, he would return and show them the way to go. Number seven, summary and principle expressions. A conclusion is a particular statement that follows the logical argument. A summary is a restatement of all the different parts into one simple sentence. A principle, on the other hand, is a similar or is similar to a summary in that it is a straightforward statement of fact. But unlike a summary, it can stand independent of all the rest of the Bible. A principle, a, a, uh, my computer screen just moved. A principle is simply a statement of fact as God presents it, sort of a Bible maxim, like those found in Proverbs. Principles never change and are not modified by anything in the Bible. And they are always true. Sometimes a principle may function as a summary when it comes at the end of a discussion. Number eight, illustrations. There are many illustrations and examples in the Bible. Illustrations clarify the logic of a passage and help us in applying the principles of God's word. Two good illustrations are found in Hebrews 12.2 and Hebrews 
14 through 17. Number nine, explicit definitions. You might want to remember all of these that have the numbers to them. We should watch out for explicit definitions in the Bible. They are important because they give specific meanings as in Psalms 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Here, the writer says in a summary of the verse, the psalmist states that your word lights up the way for me to see where to place my feet, the step by step as it were. Further, your word showed me the direction to head in. You know, this uh, might might easily be, uh, I think, a parallel that help us to see this more clearly is if you've been traveling and um, it's cloudy out, it's uh, a fog out. Sometime you may have trouble seeing real close to you, but you can see maybe car lights ahead of you a ways. And as long as they're going straight, you know, the greater likelihood is that that road is straight. As you notice them to turn either to the one side or the other, you also know there is a turn that's in front of you or ahead of you. While the headlights you have may give you light for just that place where you are, but it really can't help you too much beyond that. However, the taillights of the other vehicle can help you for where your headlights cannot even go at that time. Number 10, grammar. Grammar requires key observations as well, such as the parts of speech, inclusive of nouns, pronouns, verbs, adverbs, modifiers, prepositions, and more. Look what is the subject, uh, look at what is the subject of the sentence, the tense of the verb. And what's significant about the preposition? Number 11. Context. It is so important to notice, respect, and embrace context. Context is always found in the midst of the surrounding verses. Sometimes the context is what's called extended context. Meaning... Certain words and phrases are found in other parts of the Bible. Knowing that the Bible is a closed book, meaning we gather data only from the Bible, noticing context in the Bible helps us distinctively in two ways. One is trying to unite each verse in a passage with the context keeps us on track. Two, the context immediately or extended can give us strong clues to meanings of difficult phrases, difficult verses. We constantly learn by going from what we know to what we don't know. The context of any verse is all the rest of the Bible. So whether you're looking in Genesis, Revelation, or somewhere in between, 
you can still pull from the whole Bible to identifying context of any part because all of it is open for consideration. Number 12, exclamatory expressions. Ironies and other forms of stating truth is found in the Bible. Only as we are engaged in our personal Bible study will we develop the abilities to recognize these different types of expression. Therefore, you are encouraged to act like a detective and challenge the Bible. The Bible is tough and can stand up to the most intense scrutiny you can give it and will prove to be a trustworthy document. Inductive Bible study progresses with a plan. There must be a plan for all the data gathered. You must sort the data collected and put it into list. This leads us to another very important concept called synthesis. Synthesis is the process of combining similar things that complete or reinforce an idea of which each bit of data is a part. Synthesis has two real important functions and advantages. First, through synthesis, we find the common denominator among many different verses and therefore gain an insight into how to understand more obscure verses within the same passage. Second, synthesis aid our memory. In synthesis, we are attempting to gather things together that have something in common. Inductive Bible study continues by forming a conclusion based on the data. Now, truth is black or white, right or wrong. God is not a God of confusion, but of order. The God of the Bible is a God of detail. So as we work toward our conclusion, we want to remain true to the data we've collected, understanding that every detail matters. Further, inductive Bible study includes a test of our conclusions. Remember, truth will stand the test of scrutiny of its own accord. Truth is durable. One excellent way to test our conclusion is to play the adversary. So we may want to challenge what we've come up with ourselves and ask questions of it and try to poke holes in it, if you will, to see if in fact what we believe the scripture is saying, do we really understand that? Is it clad tight as it were? Or are we somewhat unsure, but for the purpose of ending a study, we just kind of get something and fill in the blank? Well, I hope that would not be your story. Beyond that, in uh, uh, when it comes to the inductive Bible study, it also concludes with, and this is a big one, application. Now, 
there are some important questions we should ask ourselves whenever we've completed our inductive study and perhaps even along the course of our study. Some of the questions might include, what does the passage mean? What does the passage mean to me? Further, what might I ask? What does the Bible teach me about my personal faith? What do I learn about God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? What do I learn about my about the salvation story? What do I learn about the cross, hell, heaven, sin, the church, judgment, Satan, God's will and decree for me? Number two. What about my attitude? How shall I think because of this passage? How does this passage have an impact on my emotions, my fears, my worries, my hates, my resentment or jealousies, my gratitude, friendship, and grace? These are all things that we include and, and began to look at with the conclusion of our inductive study, which has to conclude with application. We may go further and ask, what about my actions? What shall I do because of this passage? Do I change my habits? Do I stop doing something? Do I start doing something? How am I supposed to speak? How do I handle my time and my resources? Also, we want to look and observe warnings. What sins are pointed out in my life as a result of this passage? What must I do with them? What must I stop doing? What must I start doing? What must I forsake? What must I hold on to? What sins are mine? The church, mankind's in general. How will God deal with this sin? Also, the challenges. Challenges, is there some job I must do? Is there some prayer I should pray? To whom is the challenge directed? And how can I equip myself to begin? Also, examples. Examples, is there a life that I should follow or not follow? And then we look at, as well, the promises. What can I thank God for? What can I rejoice in? What can I claim as a child of God? Or are there any conditions I must meet first? Remembering a right conclusion is right because it is right, not because we can live with it. We must study the Bible not only to keep ourselves close to God's will, but also so that we can be used of God 
to express his will to others. Bible study is not just for experts. It's for everyone. Now, there is no quick and easy way to acquire Bible knowledge. Neither do we study the Bible for some ego trip seeking for neat discoveries. Well, what, what do I mean by that? Well, there are some times where persons have gone through and they have tried to discover uh, certain bits and get certain treasures out of the word so they can go and impress somebody with their knowledge. Number seven is promise. What can I thank God for? What can I rejoice in? What can I claim as a child of God? Are there any conditions I must meet first? Remembering a conclusion, a right conclusion, is right because it is right, not because we can live with it. We must study the Bible not only to keep ourselves close to God and his will, but also to be used of God to express his will to others. Bible study is not just for experts. It is for everyone. Now, there is no quick and easy ways to acquire knowledge of the Bible. Neither do we study the Bible for some ego trip seeking for neat discoveries. Sometime persons have endeavored to um, get into to the word and try to find some nuggets and something to impress someone to as it were look super smart or real deep that should never be our motivation the scriptures say to come boldly in this we must do speaking the wisdom of God God alone reveals truth this being said there are things that can hinder us from receiving biblical truth Sometimes we are locked into what our doctrines teaches. Sometimes we're part of fellowships, assemblies, churches, denominations, and there's a teaching that they ascribe to and hold fast to that may not be biblical. And so it's important for us to allow the word to be the authority concerning all matters of life, and what God requires of us in terms of the counsel of scripture. So areas of rebellion may roll or reign in someone's life, which kind of they hold to more than the word of God. Now, even though certain scriptures are used, it doesn't mean that it supports the doctrine to which it may be attached. Sometimes, we have a bias to certain sin that prevents us from seeing what otherwise would be so obvious. From Hebrews 4.12, the scriptures say, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow, and is a discerner 
of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Therefore, we must expect that the word will cut both ways. And then in James, the scripture tells us to let patience have her perfect work in James 1 and 4, that we may be perfect, entire, and wanting nothing. For this cause, as we study the word, we don't give up. We look up. And in faith, we trust God that he will reveal his truth to us in his time. For any good or great work to be done, there must be tools needed and skills acquired to use the tools. There's a great number of tools you can use, such as a good dictionary, as, and this is as a, a, a Bible student, a good dictionary, in fact, a general good Bible dictionary, um, and some other dictionaries, if you will. The tools may include Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, Young's Concordance, the Englishman's Greek Concordance. It may also include Greek and Hebrew concordances, as well as Greek and Hebrew lexicons. Additionally, you may want a Vine's Topical Dictionary, a Wilson's Word Studies, Worst Word Studies, a Bible Handbook or Survey of the Bible, along with a number of commentaries. Now, I'll talk you through an example of an inductive Bible study about salt. In the New Testament, the Greek words which we translate as salt are halas, H-A-L-A-S, hals, H-A-L-S, halukos, H-A-L-U-K-O-S, and halazome, H-A-L-I-Z-O-M-A-I. We will study the word salt in the passages found, or in the passage found in Colossians 4, 6, where the scripture says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Now, the word salt is expressed as halos in the passage of Matthew 5.13, Mark 9.50, Luke 14.34, and also in Colossians 4.6. It's translated as hows in Mark 9.49. It's translated as halukos in James 3.12. And then also in Matthew 5.13, it's expressed as halazomea. So now, generally, these occurrences of the word salt in the Greek is really neutral. Um, however, when we conclude our study, we find that our speech must include the judgment and wrath of God. Therefore, unless we share that God is not just a God of love, but also a God of judgment. We are not really sharing the gospel message. As we're transitioning now into hermeneutics, there are several rules that must be employed for materials which need to be interpreted. 
because the readers are so far removed from the writers in the sense of history, literature, art, archaeology, and transition, the gaps are significant, inclusive of the multiple gaps, such as history, culture, language, geography, biology, such as flora and fauna, and then philosophy. So, we must aim to get understanding of the purpose of the book, the historical background, the culture in which it was written, the context in which it is intended, the meaning of the words used, the parallel passages that support it, and the literary styles, as well as how to make an application. This lecture will continue in part three.